You're listening to Super Power Up with multidimensional master, superpower expert, and former counterintelligence agent, Tonya Donrekla. If you're ready to disrupt reality, then sit down, strap in, and prepare to experience the show that proves there is no spoon. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, your superpower expert, and I'm super excited for this conversation today. We're having back on the show Perry Marshall, and if you all recall, back in the day, I don't remember how long ago it aired now, but we talked to him about personal development and the business benefits of personal development specifically. And and in that, you know, Perry and I realized that, that we have some other common, you know, intersections of, of an evolutionary sort. And so we wanted to talk about his book, Evolution 2.0. And it's not just a book. I mean, dare I say, it's a movement, right? It's, it goes way beyond what you see as the words on the pages. And he, he's just the embodiment of somebody who's obviously standing in his gap and doing his work in the world. And so I'm really excited about bringing him on so we can talk about what that journey looks like, how that's been for him. Um, some of the things, maybe he'll actually give us some insights into things that are, have happened for him since the publication of the book. But but in 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 prepping for the show today, the idea kept coming to me of God 2.0. And I want to be really clear um, what I mean when I say that, because I think it, it could be easily misinterpreted or, or interpreted, I guess, <laughs> by your preference and perception. It, the, the idea of not necessarily that we would have the audacity to think we could improve upon God, but certainly our perceptions alter, right? You hear us talk on the show a lot about frequencies and dimensionalities and, and awareness levels. And as those layers peel off, we, we just see things very differently. You, you've heard people talk about a Bible verse or a quote or something that they thought they understood. And then, you know, five, 10 years later, after some different development, they're like, oh, wait, that's what it really meant. And then, and then you read it again later. And I, you know, I think I've read Siddhartha like 15 times and it, it, there's just these nuanced layers um, that are undeniable. And so, so, so what happens if we take the conversation of God outside of the ni- nice little boxes that we like to put it in and apply it in things like science and technology and development and personal development, right? A lot of times it gets left out of that conversation. And if we use that as a foundation, how does that alter things? Um, and so we're going to talk with Perry today about that. But if you first want to join me in welcoming him back to the show, please do so. Hi, Perry. Thanks for joining us again. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, first of all, I, I just personally want to thank you for the contributions that you're making in the world. And, you know, I have, I have an appreciation for being willing to live divergently. I know a lot of us think divergently. Obviously, we're attracted to a show about superpowers, but to live it, to embody it, to walk it, it's, you know, that that's an art and a science all wrapped up into one. And it, it takes a hell of a lot of courage um, in a world that, that um, you know, is okay convincing us otherwise. So, so to you, thank you. And um, I love your work. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm so glad. And, and if you haven't had a chance to check out uh, Perry's book, I absolutely recommend it. Evolu- I mean, all of his stuff is great. He's brilliant. Um, you get him talking about the topics that, that light him up and, and you see it, it, you know, exudes. And so if you have a chance to pick up Evolution 2.0, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. But we're going to jump into this, this deeper conversation with it. So Perry, can we give him a quick backstory as to what the impetus was for why you even approached that concept in the first place? So I, I used to avoid evolution. It's kind of like gay rights, immigration, gun control, abortion, immigration, you know, uh, yeah, you don't highly like 
polite company, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think I'm going to go to a wedding and talk about that, you know. Um, <laughs> and the funny thing is now I can go to a wedding and talk about evolution. Everybody would be sitting forward going, really? Nobody <laughs> ever told me that. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. This, so this started when my brother went to very conservative seminary and got a master's degree and moved to China. And he, and he was a part-time missionary in China. He'd been trained to be a pastor. And I'm over here. I'm running my business. I'm doing all this stuff. And uh, Brian's always been like the most conservative one in the family. And then a couple of years into his living in China, he starts asking me all these questions. And he's really starting to have a lot of doubts. Like this whole infrastructure that got built up in seminary starts falling apart for him. I think he was really starting to think for himself for the first time in his life. And he wasn't thinking what other people told him he was supposed to think. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and all these things started unraveling. And so we're both pastors, kids. And I, I certainly was still a Christian. I just, I wasn't as conservative as him. I was a little more freewheeling. Um, and I, I thought I had like answered lots of tough questions from lots of tough intellectual people, but you have never had a deep theological dive until you've done it with a guy with a master's degree in theology who knows Greek <laughs> and Hebrew and, and everything else. Okay. And, and um, I was finding myself over my head, but, you know, maybe keep, keeping my head above water I, at least. And then I went to visit him in China and I immediately realized he's done. Like he's, he's not asking questions anymore. He is no longer a Christian. He has thrown this out the window and he's done. And boy, I don't know. I think Thanksgiving dinner might get interesting. Um, and, and, and so I was feeling very, um, upset about this and very unsettled and not so much because of how it changed the family dynamic, but it was like, well, I don't know, like, what if he's right? And like, I can't, like, I'm, I'm kind of drowning in his questions myself. And like, maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong about a bunch of stuff. And we're riding this bus. And I said to him, Brian, look at the hand at the end of your arm. I said, this is a nice, nice piece of engineering. And I know, cause I'm an engineer. I, you don't think that's an accumulation of random accidents, do you? And he goes, hold on. And he just comes right back at me with an explanation that probably everybody's heard. Well, you know, all you need is random changes in DNA and millions of years and millions and billions of creatures. And, you know, the inferior ones die out and the, and the ones that are left keep getting better and better. And you don't need a designer and you don't need any of that. And I just stopped right there. And I thought, okay, I have my engineer's way of assuming thing the world is, but I know that I don't know everything. I know a bunch of biologists would agree with him and not me, and they can't be stupid, I don't think. So what, what do they know that I don't? And I just decided to stop arguing with Brian right now. It wasn't helping our trip anyway. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to stop arguing. And when I get home from China, 
I will buy every book, every scientific paper, anything I need. I am an electrical engineer. I am scientifically literate. I know how to pick up scientific literature and figure it out. Here we go. And I just plunged myself into the void. And, and the real question that I was trying to ask is, is the world purposeful or is the world purposeless? And I would look at the hand at the end of my arm and I would go, it is obviously very purposeful, duh. Like, I don't know any engineer that can make this. Um, anybody ever took a good look at a prosthetic arm? You know, would, would anybody like to compare it to a real one? Right? So, like, to me, it was just a no-brainer. <clears throat> but I thought, well, maybe there's something I don't know. I don't know hardly anything about biology. So, um, maybe my entire conception of engineering is going to change. But I'm going to follow the evidence wherever it leads. And I, and I am not going to take... I'm not going to build a wall between my religious beliefs and the empirical engineer side of my brain. I can't live with attention anyway. I can't live in some kind of a hypocrisy. If, if, if all the science and engineering tells me, no, actually, we don't live in a purposeful universe and it's not what you think, then I was willing to follow that to its conclusion. So there I was, and it was terrifying, but I had to do it. Well, and, and I, I even quoted that I wrote down in my notes here that, you know, you said that you said, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, even if it costs me everything. Yes. And, you know, and I, and I, I like, I, like I shared with you before we started talking, I, I'm such a kindred spirit in that, in the sense that if you're going to ask questions, you better be ready to hear the answers, no matter <laughs> what the answer is. And, and, and what we're talking about I mean, divides and family units. We're talking about, you know, careers. We're talking, mm -hmm. I mean, this isn't small stuff. This isn't like, do you like chocolate or vanilla ice cream? And no. so when we start to look at those things, that isn't that the terrifying piece though? Isn't that the, you know, I remember the moment it, I realized I was holding contradictory beliefs about something like evolution. And I never stopped to think about the fact that I actually believed both, but both couldn't be true in the way that I understood them. And, mm -hmm. and, and of course, in my world, rather than look at the beliefs, what, what we look at, or I'm just fascinated with the internal machinations. And it's like, wait, how can this happen? And where are the contradictions and how you know, the, the complexities of it all versus going into the details of the opinions I was holding? I was fascinated with the human behavior behind it. Like, wait a second how can I be doing this? Like, like regardless of setting out to prove it, which I didn't, you know, I didn't get that far with it. So kudos to you. But it was like, how do I even, how am I holding these? And I never stopped to question how I'm holding contradictory viewpoints. And I think that's true of so many of us. Um, and, but, you know, you, you, you dive in to see, well, wait, do I want to believe these things? And, and, and I do think we can hold contradictions. I, I, I think that some of the, the wealth of this information is recognizing the intricacies and the complexities and everything else. But what you're talking about goes way beyond what we believe as individuals, because the implications to our societal fabric are impacted. Um, you, you know, conversation, we debunked Newtonian physics decades ago, but most people still operate as though that's the prevailing theory. And we build including biology. 
Exactly. So it's like, how is this possible? When are we going to let our lives and our realities be informed by what we've quote unquote proven through scientific methods? Yeah, I call it the laboratory. (laughs) It's the laboratory of reality is what I like to call it. It exists, exists everywhere. Like my, my dear friend, Tom Hubiar used to say, there's burning bushes everywhere. Like, <laughs> well, and isn't that bur- the saying? Like either everything's miraculous or nothing is. Right, right. So there's all kinds of things that we're not paying attention to. So I said, well, I, I have to, I have to have to pay attention to this. And so, um, so for a while I was just stark raving terrified and, and desperately confused as well. I, I started buying all these books across the whole spectrum of the argument on the left and the right and everywhere else. And I quickly figured out, for example, that um, I wasn't going to get too far until I dug into actual scientific literature because most of the popular books were just, they were too surface level to actually come to any conclusions. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and then eventually I started hitting some bedrocks like, oh, well, so here's a stake I can drive in the ground. I can be certain of this. And, and where that first point was, um, was that I was trying to understand how DNA worked and what a DNA mutation was. And I was looking at these diagrams and I thought, hey, wait a minute. I've seen this before. I know what this is. It was the first time I ever felt that way about biology. And what it was, was DNA is digital code and it obeys all the rules of digital code. And I wrote an ethernet book in 2002 in a previous career. Um, and, 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 and I looked at, okay, so here's, here's data in an ethernet packet that goes into your computer, which is carrying the sound we're talking on right now, right? And here's a gene in a strand of DNA. They're basically the same. Wow. 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 I'm going to pause you there. I'm going to pause you there because that's a great cliffhanger. And we have to take a quick break, folks. You are not going to want to miss the rest of this conversation. I don't know about you, but we're tapping into some matrixy type stuff here. So stick with us. We're talking with Perry Marshall. We're talking God 2.0, science and spirituality. Where does all that fit in together? So don't, don't. Don't walk away. We'll be right back. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you are ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Awesome. We're back. You're listening to the Superpower Up Network. I'm Tonya Don Recklin. We're talking with Perry Marshall today about God 2.0, kind of the science and spirituality conundrum here. And right before the break, Perry dropped kind of a bomb, folks. Like, like, what is the commonality? Where do kind of the human DNA and 
the tech side of things match up and and he started speaking to that so so continue about your ethernet gene uh comparison there yes so the 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 way that digital code is encoded and decoded and you know put into a packet of information and then taken back out so you can read your text message or read your email or watch your video at the most basic level it's identical okay now when i had this argument with brian brian said hey you know all you need is a you know an accidental dna mutation uh, a copying error and occasionally it's going to be better and then you know the birds can see better or they can hunt better and so evolution just keeps getting better and better and you don't you don't need any kind of designer purpose or anything well when i ran that through my information technology filter it was like that absolutely positively has to be wrong there is no slightest possibility that that is right. Now, this, this brought me to a really interesting fork in the road because most people, uh, especially people with my background and training and education, they would say, oh, so evolution is a hoax. And they would be some flavor of creationist or intelligent design person. And I was really tempted to stay on that route for a while, but... I discovered something else, and this is where it got interesting. And what I discovered was there was 70 years of very detailed research that showed that organisms reprogram their own DNA, going back to the 1940s. Okay, now, this is kind of hard to appreciate, but have you ever seen an M.C. Escher drawing where a hand mm -hmm. is drawing a hand. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is what life does. Um, in 1944, Barbara McClintock figured out that her corn plants, if she damaged their DNA, the corn plant would go take pieces of DNA from other parts of a chromosome and it was like, it, and it would patch the missing data with similar, different, but suitable data. It'd be sort of like, well, I just ripped a page out of this mystery novel, but I got this writer over here and um, they, took, they, they took some other sentences and paragraphs from the book and they reassembled them. They filled in the missing stuff and nobody notices that that page got completely rewritten and the original page was lost. Mm -hmm. A corn plant did that. Okay. And, and Barbara McClintock went and presented her findings at a symposium and half the crowd laughed at her mm -hmm. and half of them were mad. They were like, woman, like, don't, you know, uh, genes build plants. Plants don't build genes. But see, <laughs> she figured out, no, plants do build genes. And see, the real question is, how do they know how to do that? And where do they know how to do that? And what does it mean for them to know how to do that? And what do they know? Barbara McClintock asked what I think is maybe the most brilliant question in the history of biology. What does a cell know about itself? And she wrote that 
in her 1984 Nobel Prize paper. For 20 years, she had so much ridicule, she didn't even publish her data anymore. But she kept doing the experiments. And then in the 70s, people started going, hey, wait a minute, look at this. And hey, wait a minute, look at this. And it kind of resurrected what she had never been able to push forward and she won a Nobel Prize. And I think she's the greatest biologist in history. Absolutely brilliant. And, and so when I found that, it was like, oh my word, mm -hmm. like nobody's operating system does that. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. And suddenly, evolution became the most fascinating engineering problem I, I could imagine because evolution is not a hoax. That you go to the doctor, and I actually, two weeks ago, I had an infection, and I go to the doctor, and he gives me antibiotics, and he goes, you finish the bottle all the way down, <laughs> even if you feel all better. You Has still he not read your book? Well, <laughs> that sounds kind of familiar, right? And um, and so, and that's that's because the germs will evolve. Okay, they'll evolve past the antibiotics. They'll develop defenses, and that's just like that's just child's play version of evolution. Yeah. That's not like the advanced stuff. And so, I was like, why isn't anybody talking about this? It in, in my whole quest, it took me two years to find Barbara McClintock. She wasn't like hanging on some poster. And, and but she should have been. I was like, why isn't this is like the most important thing anybody could know about this? That organisms reprogram themselves. And you know, Tonya, I think I think that there are some kinds of information that the world is just not ready to accept. For sure. For sure. I mean, and we, and we know that they, as you're talking, I'm reminded of, I had this whole download one day about intentional molecular creation. I'm like, what? Mm. And so I just kind of go down these rabbit holes. Cause that's how, that's how my gifts work. Right. Random thoughts come to me and I pursue them and I keep looking and I go to Google and, you know, I, I use all my tools and um, that it, it, it's a, it's a whole process. I'm reminded like in a crude way of the movie um, Lucy, you know, I don't, I'm sure, I don't know if you've seen it, but that, uh, Scarlett Johansson, where she was like turning her hand and, and she's like, we can make, you know, cells can repurpose themselves. Even in Dr. Strange, they talk about, you know, a cell can, can put itself back together however it wants to. And I don't know what other couples are talking about, but my husband texted me today an article that says <laughs> octopus arms are capable of making decisions without input from their brains, right? And so yeah. it's like, you know, and you're starting to see these things pop up and, and they're coming forward and it's like, wait, wait, wait a second. And, and, for some of us, it's laughable because we've always, quote unquote, known it, but proving it in the physical reality, you know, stepping into those spaces, being able to like really drill down like you're doing into these conversations because it's just too easy to brush aside like your friend Barbara here, right? Like that, that's huge, huge information that, like you said, that should be front and center, but why does it get squashed? You know, what is it? Is it simply timing? Is it readiness? Is it conspiracy theory? You know, I come from a counterintelligence background. So, you know, uh -huh. you, you don't stay in the spy world for more than a minute and not, you know, ingrain a lot of conspiracy theory. Um, I think I think it's a virus of itself, you know, and you, <laughs> you, you start to see that and everything. But but there is, you know, it, that leads us right back to the very dialogue of 
something around an intelligent design. And, and if you go to that space, then there has to be a purpose. Well, if there, what's the purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. You, you know, and, and that, that becomes its own dialogue. So, so great that cells can do that, but why? <laughs> well, okay. So I think, I think the life has a degree of freedom that most people have never contemplated. Okay. So like if you ask a typical religious person who knows something, a thing or two about theology, they could be Christian, Jewish, Muslim. If you say, so Tonya, why is there evil and suffering in the world? Is is this your deep religious voice? (laughs) Well, so they'll, people will ask this. And, and the answer is usually, well, you can't have love without freedom. And if you have freedom, then you have the choice to harm as well as to love. And so that's why we have evil. And I agree. I think that's correct. But usually they kind of restrict it to humans. Okay. I think it's a trillion times bigger than that. I believe that God made nature with the freedom to express itself the way that it wants to. I I believe nature has its own autonomy and that it's not just human beings making choices and human beings loving God and, or, or not. It's all of nature. And it actually helps make a lot of sense about the way nature itself is and the way the world is, the way the universe is, the, the only world in which love can exist is a world where evolution exists. I think you have to repeat that. The, the, only, un- the only way a world can exist that has love is in a world that has evolution. Okay, and so evolution, there's... Is that because evolution is spelled E-V-O-L, love backwards? Oh, well, I didn't really... No, I I, I never thought of that before. (laughs) That's a new one. Um, Okay, I'll have to file that away. Um, No, because... (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, You threw me off. That you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that on my list of accomplishments for this. <laughs> no, it's because evolution requires choices, and when Barbara McClintock's plants got damaged, that plant decided what it was going to do about it. In fact, one of the one of the basic um, foundations of McClintock's work was was looking at what organisms would do when they were confronted with completely unexpected challenges. So she discovered, like, if, if you take a, a plant and, or a bacteria and you make it hot, it will have a heat shock response and it will do certain things to its DNA and it will do all this stuff. And if you take away its food, it will have another kind of response. And these are predictable. But then she would do things that were completely unpredictable, and she would find that, well, actually, they're kind of like people. 
you put them in unpredictable situations and they do unpredictable, but contextually make sense kind of things. And this goes all the way down to the cellular level. So I think free choice and free will extends to all of nature. I think most people conceive of nature as this Newtonian clockwork. No, that's not what biology is. It's not, it's not a machine. And there, there's a whole conceptual shift. I mean, most molecular biologists still think it's a machine. I think they're wrong. You can't possibly explain what they, what organisms actually do assuming they're machines because we don't have any machines that do this. Computers don't heal themselves. Computers don't rewrite their own code. Software programs don't fix themselves. Um, software doesn't evolve in 20 minutes when you put it in antibiotics. Cells do. So you do so, understand the implications of what you're talking about. And it bears the question of, okay, so is nature then, uh, does, does nature have like a God's will kind of path to follow or and a not God's will path to follow? Because that's at the heart of, um, you know, a lot of dialogue around, okay, so let's say there's a God and God's will will be done and, and all of that conversation. And part of our choice is, do we want to follow this way? Um, the good, light, expansive way, or that way, which is the not. Um, are they? Do they have the same kind of? I mean, that's huge. I mean, many, 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 many assumptions mixed up in that in that little diatribe right there. But <laughs> let's say that we're just gonna, you know. So, so, but, but it, it bears the question: either they do or they don't, which means what? Either we do or we don't. Well, I. So I think it's very clear that humans have. Um some choices that, that we have to make. And, and th this is where our modern morality comes in because, because evolution in, in the bio, in the purely biological sense is amoral. It's, uh, it's like, well, you know, the, the, the fish ate the frog or the frog ate the fish, you know, it's like, it's just a big competition and it's all—it's also cooperation. Don't get me wrong. There's there's a lot of nuance to it, but in the end, it's a meritocracy. Now, on the other hand, modern people will say things like, well, "A truly evolved society would provide affordable health care for even its poorest members." Well, that is a completely different notion of evolution than anything Darwin ever talked about. It's it's a completely different right almost category. not just different but almost completely opposite. It, 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 in fact, yes, it is nearly the opposite. And I so I have terms for this. So the the meritocracy evolution I call that evolution alpha. The equality of human beings and human rights evolution I call that evolution omega. And evolution omega started with the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Turn the other cheek. If somebody asks you to walk one mile, walk two. That is counter-Darwinian. And then St. Paul comes along and he says, in Christ there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. All are equal in Christ Jesus. You know, nobody... Nobody before Paul ever said that, ever. The, the idea of equality simply did not exist 
before Paul. And now we can hardly imagine a world where we don't at least try as best we can to have some semblance of equality. At least everybody could get a vote and at least everybody can go to school, right? That's evolution omega. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what if the whole cosmos is evolving in that direction? Well, I don't know what that means. That's kind of a brain circuit frying thought. <laughs> but I'm willing to sit in the frying pan with it for a while. I mean, that could be fun. Well, and, and we take it even in a, in a little bit of a different nuanced direction in the sense that, like I alluded to earlier, my bias is, is that we are fascinated with these conversations now because it is the next phase of our own development from the personhood to oneness. Like it's a next common logical yeah. step because yeah. you can't have oneness and be separate from anything. And, and there are, when you get up high enough in the stratosphere, you can see the symbolism in a lot of the, the, the stories, whether, whether it's religious, spiritual texts, whether it's uh, secular texts, like it doesn't matter. The, the idea of like, what the hell are we doing here? You know, and, and if, and if we, we relax into and provide, and, and some of, some of us have had the experience of what, what, what Christianity would consider the, the Holy Spirit, like the feeling of like, you don't touch the face of God and not know it, right? You feel mm -hmm. it, you know, it. every, you know, they, in, in stealing fire, they looked at ecstasy, you know, you feel it in every cell of your body when you're, you're, you're embraced by the divine. Yes. That like, so, so to look at, and then to go looking for facts, it's like everything pales in comparison to that, but yet we have to understand what to do with that here. And, um, you know, when, when a lot of us got to that level of awareness and didn't just naturally transcend and leave our clothes here, it was like, oh, well, <laughs> shit, what do we do? Like, like what, why would we know this here? Like, what is the purpose, you know? And I, and I think so many of our folks at least thought that the awakening was like it. And, and it's like, well, well that's, that was just step one. Right now, now, what do we do with it? What do we do here? And I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm continually drawn into this idea of collaboration. In fact, we were gifted with the idea of synergistic collaboration, recognizing that the energy between us actually creates. Well, what you're talking about has huge implications of that. It goes way beyond the um, individual personhoods figuring out how to commune energetically, spiritually together. Well, now we're talking about and actually, in some way, it's actually reassuring because it, 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 what it does is it creates this like entire net, if you will, of this encompassing shared energy. And you can see it in what you're talking about. And again, it still begs the question of, OK, so what? What do we do with that? But those conversations have to continue to unfold. So. God 1.0 versus God 2.0, could I offer a suggested definition? 100%, you may. So God 1.0 is our idea of God. God 2.0 is God. You're not, you're not helping me with the trilogy. Like what happens? How do we get to well, the of it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you got to think franchise. Well, well, the question is, are we in love with God or, or are we in love with our idea of God? Yeah. 
Well, and I don't and, even, I wouldn't even call it love. I would say addicted to. Honestly. Uh, that's fair. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Right. Is, is your, is, is God, God, or is God this idol that exists in your own mind? Mm. And um, it's good to recognize that God is never the same as my idea of God. And my idea of God is necessarily weak and feeble and limited and flawed and corrupted. But at least I can conceptualize that um, when I talk to God, I can say, well, I would like, I would like to be communicating with the actual one, not the one that merely exists in my, inside my head. Mm -hmm. um, and at least there's a humility in that. You know, Anselm mm -hmm. said, God is that of which no greater thing can be conceived. Mm. Okay, so what he's doing is he's naming something that's inconceivable. And he's at least admitting that it's inconceivable. And, well, that's at least a start. Right, well, and then add on top of it, like, like I describe it as the most powerful yet the most humbling experience of my existence in the sense of, now, if you truly do believe that that exists within each of us, there is a, a responsibility to being that here and yet recognizing that you will never, ever be able to match up to that holy. Like there, there's, there, that is in and of itself a contradiction. And, and yeah. to be able to sit in that space in, in human form as an aspect of the divine is, in my opinion, worth, worth the walk. So. Yeah. You know, it's, um, but it, but I love what you're doing. I love the questions you seek to answer. I love your very delicate balance of skepticism with inquiry. Um, I think that you have a very responsible way of persevering in these spaces. And, and we need that. We need level-headedness and responsibleness and open-heartedness and, um, you know, willingness to suspend our disbeliefs if we're going to have any hope of seeing beyond what we previously thought possible. And, um, so again, I honor you and your journey and your work, and we're always happy to support you. So you're welcome back on our shows anytime. Um, and where can we send people to find out more about you and what you're up to? If you go to evo2.org, E-V-O number two dot O-R-G, um, you'll find the Evolution 2.0 podcast. You'll find videos. You'll find three free chapters of the book. You'll find information on our $10 million technology prize for where did the genetic code come from? And, um, I, well, I think that some of your listeners will enjoy that rabbit hole the way that you did. Which is, <laughs> yes, I think absolutely. it's thrilling. I'm confident that they will. So thank you again. And to all of you out there, as always, we appreciate your loyalty. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends about it. Um, and until next time, go out, uncover your superpowers, and change the world. Take care, everyone. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.